You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. Today's Ministry 127 podcast is entitled Maintaining Joy Through Seasons of Ministry with Pastor Jim Shetler. Pastor Shetler has been serving the Lord in full-time ministry for nearly 30 years and has pastored the First Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California since 2007. Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you would, we're looking at maintaining your joy through the seasons of life. And I think your handout is on (laughs) 43.1. That's pretty organized, isn't it? 43.1, they have you in the book there if you want to follow along that way. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47 and 48. And let me just share something with you as as we begin. They do call you up and they invite you to come and speak here. I did not know that they told you, you know, you know, this is what the topic we'd like to have you speak on or whatever. And I didn't realize that when they first, and then they want it, you know, like three months in advance and uh, the, the outline and everything. And, and I'll tell you, when they told me the topic, they said, Brother Shuttler, we'd like to have you speak on maintaining your joy in the ministry. Well, I, I will tell you this, honestly, I thought, you know, I believe that a joyful spirit has been characteristic of my ministry, except for the last four years. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, I thought, wow, Lord, I said, you know, like, you know, 10 years ago, I could have been all about this lecture, you know, but I, I said, you know, the last few years, I don't know if joy has been a real characteristic of my ministry. And I said, Lord, why did you have me do this? And he said, for you, you need this. And uh, so, you know what? I really do feel a little hypocritical with this outline in front of me. I know this outline is right. I know this outline works. And I know that this preacher needs to keep applying this outline in my life. And uh, I pray it'll be a help and an encouragement to you. You know, I was thinking about something this morning. If you take a Brother R.B. Roulette's message this morning and you preach that without joy, you know, I, I got to tell you what, you are turning off people. No, you really, I mean that honestly. That message goes nowhere if it doesn't have love and joy behind it. It really does not. Because what we believe, like what Brother Willette preached today, I will tell you, because of the beliefs that we as independent Baptists have, I'm telling you the truth. This message is incredibly important, this workshop. Because you can't keep promoting your beliefs if you don't have the joy of the Lord and the love of God in your, in your heart. So I will tell you, this, this workshop is as important as all of the beliefs and standards that we, we hold dear because this is the only way that people are going to receive and the avenue and the bridge that God uses. The second thing why this is an important workshop is because this is a command. Now, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, so we know how important it is that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. But I want you to take your Bibles. You have, I think you should have turned them to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want to show you two verses that maybe you have never seen before in your entire life. I want to tell you something. 
When you would think about joy, because it is a fruit of the Spirit, you would think, well, any, any verses you're going to deal with joy or whatever, he's going to have to go to the New Testament. But I find it very interesting that Deuteronomy 28 and the whole passages of the blessings and the cursings that Moses has given to Israel uh, there in in, in these chapters, that, man, I'm telling you, this is all about the joy of the Lord. And if you have never picked up on these two verses before, I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to read out loud verse 47 and 48, and then I want you to read it out loud because you may think like, Whoa, I can't believe that's in the Old Testament. Because don't forget now, we would say we need the Holy Spirit. Well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals and left individuals. But I want you to see the command that God gave to Israel without having an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Notice the command. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness... And with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. He says, if you don't serve me with joyfulness and gladness of heart, your ministry is going to be destroyed. Your ministry is going to be like you're carrying around a weight all the time. You're going to be hungry all the time. You're going to be thirsty all the time for spiritual things. If you don't serve me with joy and gladness of heart, your ministry is going to be judged. I think this is amazing that this is in the Old Testament. And he says, you need to have a big part of determining the joy and the gladness that you have uh, as well. Would you say those two verses with me? Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Let's say them together. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Let me give you this afternoon God's four-step process to having joy all the time. And I think that these will be very practical. I think they'll be very helpful as well. Number one, God's four-step process to having joy all the time. Number one, forget the past. Forget the past. Preachers, I want to tell you this. I've been now in ministry now for 28 years, and I will tell you, the longer I stay in ministry, I have learned it's not what you remember in the ministry that matters. It's what you decide to forget in the ministry that matters. And I will tell you, your longevity in the ministry will be greatly determined on how well you can forget things, not how well you can remember things, because people are going to hurt you. 
And when they hurt you, you've got to be able to move on. Now take your Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. We're going to look at Joseph for just a moment. And as you're turning there, let me share you just a couple stories with you. Uh, I remember I was a youth pastor for seven years before I became pastor, senior pastor. And in those seven years that I was youth pastor, uh, we had great times together. We had probably about 600 different teenagers come through. Never at one time we had that many. But probably about 600 different young people came all the way through. And man, we had great missions trips. We had, we had all kinds of great memories of the things that we did, retreats we took and everything. Well, as the years have gone by, a lot of my teenagers have, you know, seen me. They're grown. They got kids now or whatever. I remember one night I was, uh, I was doing a week of meetings at the Bill Rice Ranch at a, at a camp. And just one night there was nine, there was a couple teenagers that were already there that now are like youth pastors, wives or, or, or whatever. And they were there. And then some came from the Nashville area, Murfreesboro area, area and came out and saw us that night. So there was about nine of us that night together, and we all crammed in this little room, and we got this little picture by a saddle and everything. It was my old teenagers and everything. And then we had some ice cream, and then we started talking about old times. And they said, Pastor Scheller, do you remember the time we went to the, uh, we went to the Camp Coenia, and we did this, and we, we toilet papered your bunk bed, and we put this in your, in your sleeping bag. Hey, do you remember this time we did that? And I'm thinking, I don't remember that. I said, I don't remember that. Oh, Pastor Schiller, you got to remember, remember the time that they vomited on the, in the bus and you got all over you and y'all, man. You. And I go, I don't remember that. I said, I don't remember that. And they're t- telling me one really bad story after. I said, well, I can't believe I was a youth pastor for seven years, you know. And it was one bad story after another. And I went like, I really, I really don't remember that. All I remember is this story and this story, and those were good stories. You know what? And I think the Lord greatly helped me. Because you know what? I think I would have killed those teenagers if I would have remembered all that stuff. You you know, preachers, I want to tell you this. And we do see some ladies here, pastors, wives, I want to tell you this. The longer you stay in the ministry, it's not going to be what you remember about the people. It's, it's going to be what you decide to forget about those people. That's what's going to keep you in the ministry. If you're going to maintain joy in the seasons of ministry, you're going to have to learn how to forget things. Now, in Genesis 41, we come to Joseph's t- complete transition of his life. Everything up to chapter 41 has been terrible. I mean, everything the guy has done, he's done well, and bad things have happened to him. Man, he's been in a pit. He's been sold as a slave. He's been falsely accused. He's been left in a prison to be forgotten for for two years. And Genesis 41 is the huge transition uh, chapter. I think the most important verse in Joseph's life is in Genesis 41, where he stands before Pharaoh and he says in verse 16, it is not of me. I would have made a deal with Pharaoh before I would have told him it's going to be God that's going to give you the interpretation. But his humility and his dependence on God, he says, it is not of me. And you know, the way up in Christianity is the way down. And Joseph's humility right there is, I think, his life changes from that moment. Well, afterwards, of course, um, Pharaoh makes him Zaphaphania, the second most important person in the world, and he's getting to do everything. And he gives him an Egyptian bride. What a great picture of Jesus having a Gentile bride. And he's, and he's given a bride, and, that, and Joseph has two children from Asaphanah. And, and we, we see them in verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn, every preacher in here, would you say with me the name of the firstborn? What's his name? Manasseh. Manasseh. Joseph's life 
has made a complete turnaround and a lot of things have happened in his life. But Joseph took that very first child. Second child is going to be Ephraim. It's going to be called fruitful, bountiful. And surely Joseph's ministry was, these two end up being two tribes of Israel from Joseph's uh, line. But you know, he took that first child in his hand and he said, what's, what's the name going to be, Joseph? What's the name going to be? And I don't know when Joseph decided the name. But he took that baby in his hand and he said, Manasseh, I am going to forget. Notice what it says. He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Joseph took Manasseh and held him in his arms and he said, you know what? I'm going to forget what has happened in the past and it is time to move on. Now you say, Brother Shuttler, I know this is kind of funny, but I just ask in here, Joseph didn't really forget. I mean, later on in the story, he sees his brethren. His brethren don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. I mean, after he has this child, he holds the child in his hand. He says, Manasseh, because I'm going to forget what's happened in the past. Did he forget that, that uh, Simeon was his brother? Did he forget that, that Judah put him in a pit? Did he forget Potiphar's wife and what she said? No, no. We know that he didn't have some kind of spiritual amnesia from the time he had this child. And it was just like, I don't remember. I, I, I got brothers. I, I don't know about that. I, I was in Potiphar's house at one time. No, 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 no. We know that that's not true. So then what does it mean to have a Manasseh? Well, I think the key is probably in chapter 50, verse 19. Because in chapter 50, 19, Jacob has just died. And now that Jacob's died, they're going, uh-oh. Man, Joseph's going to get us now. He just kind of was good with us because dad was still alive. But dad's gone now, and now we're going to be goners. I mean, he's going to kill us now. He just wanted it to be good. And Joseph hears about this. And Joseph begins to cry. He begins to weep, the Bible says in Genesis 50, 19. And this is just before the, the big verse, you know, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good. Just before that verse. So he's, so he's standing in front of, of his brothers, and he begins to weep. And he says, guys... Then what he says in verse 19 of chapter 50, he says, Am I in the place of God? You know what he did? He did a Romans 12. He did a Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Avenge not yourself. I'll tell you what he did. He said, you know what, God? Guys, I'm not your judge. I got that taken care of when I had my firstborn son. And when I had my firstborn son, I called him Manasseh. And I said, God, I am going to forget. And here it is. Here's what I think of Manasseh is. I am no longer going to be the judge of my brothers. I am no longer going to be the judge of Potiphar's wife. I am no longer going to be the judge of those two guys, or the, the one guy that totally forgot me in prison. I am no longer their judge. God, I'm going to forget it, and I'm not going to hurt about it anymore. And I, and, I want to, and I want to just tell you, preachers, you will not make it with joy in your ministry if you're keeping records and you're keeping that. Now, I traveled for ensembles uh, for years with, 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 with PCC, and, and I tell you the worst thing I did. I was the worst guy in the world with keeping receipts. And you're supposed to keep receipts for, for gas or whatever. And they said, you, you, you know, hey, hey, 
you know, Brother Shetler, if you don't keep receipts, we take it out of your paycheck. Man, ah, I mean, that motivated me for a while, but I just can't keep receipts. I can't keep receipts. I mean, I mean you give me a receipt, I'm going to lose it somewhere. I got to have my assistant. Hey, you got to take this receipt right away. I can't. I, I can use the credit card thing real well. I do real good with that. But it's the little piece of paper they give back with me. Now, you know what? That's terrible for financial records in a church, but it's fabulous for your spiritual life. Because you know what? There's a lot of people in the ministry keeping accounting. And you've kept the receipts. And by the way, that's exactly what it means. It's an accounting term in 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter. And it says, thinketh no evil. You know what that means? It means don't keep records. That's exactly what it means in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love thinketh no evil. It means love doesn't keep any records. It gets rid of the receipts. And you know what, preachers? There's going to be people that are going to do you wrong and they're going to say things and, 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 and going to hurt you. And they're going to hurt your family. And again, I think that for the ladies that are here, I think, you know what? If you're a pastor's wife, you're loyal. Well, probably what I, I think one of the greatest character traits of my wife is her loyalty to me. And you know what? People can hurt me in the ministry. And I'm like, you know, after a month, I'm all right. I'm ready to move on. Let's, let's go on. But not Marilee. She's going to hold that long because she's loyal to me. And I just tell you, ladies right in here, man, have a Manasseh. And I will tell you this, I don't think you can go through the ministry. That you don't, you don't need to have a couple Manassas a week where somebody says something or somebody does something. I didn't mean that to be funny. I'm serious. I mean, by Wednesday, I've had a lot of children. You know, I mean, there's, it's time for a Manasseh. You know what? You need to keep a short account of that as well, too. And there's some, maybe in this room right now, you have lost your joy. And I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to forget the past. And you need to have a Manasseh, and you need to finish it. I put down a definition of forgiveness. It's kind of a long definition, but I do believe that the words are crafted the way that I want them. Definition of forgiveness. A choice of your will to reconcile with an offender by erasing their debt and living with their consequences. A choice of your will to reconcile with an offender by erasing their debt and living with the... Actually, I put it this way. And living with the consequences of their sin. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did on that cross. He made a choice of his will to reconcile with mankind by erasing the debt. He paid the debt. By paying the debt, erasing the debt that mankind owed God and living with the consequences of that being separated from the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I tell you what I believe forgiveness is. Matter of fact, I heard it said once, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. You are never more like God than when you forgive. You are never more like God than when you forgive. And when you make a choice of your will, you know what, Lord? That family is probably never going to come to me and ask for forgiveness. That, that past assistant, that past pastor, that past ministry that I was in, that family, those people are probably never, that deacon is probably never going to come up to me and ever. But Lord, right now, I have a Manasseh. And I say, God, It's done. It's over. I am not their judge any longer. Lord, whatever you want to do, it's yours. I make a choice of my will that I'm going to erase what they owe me. And they owe me. They hurt our family. They hurt my name. They hurt a lot of things. I I went through a lot of suffering over this. But you know what? 
I make a choice of my will to reconcile with an offender and erase the debt that they owe me and to live with their, the consequences of their sin. How do you maintain joy in the ministry? Number one, you forget the past. Number two, you accept the present. You forget the past, and number two, you accept the present. For this one, let's go to the book of Ruth. Let's go to the book of Ruth. About a year or so ago, I preached through the book of Ruth. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a small passage of Scripture as much as I did the book of Ruth uh, about a year or so uh, ago. And it was really, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. The Lord showed me things I had never seen before. I'd never really studied the book of Ruth that much. And it was just a real help. And, And I think in order to have joy in the ministry, you've got to accept the present. What's happening in your life right now? And Ruth, Naomi did not at all. But Ruth is a classic example of accepting where she was at the time she was. Let's look at this. Uh, number one, be committed. Be committed. Look, I know these verses are familiar, but let's just talk about them for a minute. Uh, Ruth chapter one, verse 15. And here's the big separation. Uh, Orpah's leaving. Um, and Naomi is trying to convince Ruth to go. And she said, behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people. And unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Ema, which is a Hebrew word for mom, Ema, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. By the way, I do believe Naomi led probably Ruth to the Lord. I I really do. And and, and this should be the greatest, for a soul winner, this should have been the greatest moment in the world for Naomi. But she's so wrapped up in that bitterness. But verse 17, where thou diest, will I die? And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. Now look at verse 18. When she, Naomi, saw, that she was steadfastly, that would be a Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking on to her. Wow. My daughter-in-law means business here. There's no use talking about this thing anymore. Would to God that Satan knows that about your life. You see, maybe we're in a situation in our church right now Maybe we've gone to a church. Maybe we've taken over something. Maybe we've been there and something has occurred in that church and we don't want to accept it. And what is being challenged is our commitment to the Lord in that area. Well, let me tell you something. As long as Satan knows that there's a little opening that you're not totally committed to that flock, I guarantee you he is going to keep pressuring you to get out of there. But if you, if he, I think Ruth, or Ruth absolutely let Naomi know, hey, don't ask me anymore. I am committed to you. And I think that commitment brings joy. Once you accept what you don't know, you know what? This is what God's got for me. This is the place God's got for me. And again, I tell you, as I stand up here, all I could just share with you right now is what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life right now. I think that I struggled with this big time. I think in the last two and three and a half years, I have struggled with accepting where the Lord placed me. 
And I will tell you, you will lose your joy if you don't accept what God has given you and be totally committed to where the Lord has placed you and what God is doing in your life uh, as well. Be committed. No matter the challenge, no matter the cost, no matter the casualties, and no matter the circumstances, you stay absolutely committed. And once you do that, your life changes. There are probably four or five key moments when I was going to Bible college that the Lord used in my life that just just really changed my life in, in, in many ways. One of them was my first semester there, and it was about a month and a half. It was about the middle of October. I remember it well. I sat up in my, uh, in my top bunk in my room, and I cried. My roommates were gone. It was, you know, in the middle of October somewhere, and I came from northern Michigan that has the most beautiful colored trees in the middle of October you've ever seen in your life. We lived in a rural area. Leelanau County is one of the most beautiful counties in the United States of America. The hardwood, the lakes. We lived on a lake. We had birch trees. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm sitting up there, and I didn't like the rules. I didn't like the regulations. I didn't like what was happening in my life. And I just was sitting out, looking out the window. It was an afternoon. All my roommates were out. And I'm crying. And I just said, man, I just want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. You know, I just, oh, I don't want to be here at all. And I remembered my Labrador dog, Samson. Samson was an 80-pound black Labrador. And I remember Sam could do a lot of things. He dove underwater for golf balls. He was just a great retriever. He was a great hunting dog. But I'll tell you, I remember playing tug-of-war with my dog, Sam. Sam would grab the end of one towel, and I would grab the end of the other towel, and we would just tug. We would go sometimes 15, 20 minutes. Finally, I'd have to let go, and I remember, like, uh, I couldn't even. He would have blood in the towel off of his gums because he held on to it so much. But he never let go of that towel. He would never let go of that towel. I always had to be the one to let go. I remember we had a deck around the house, and I took him around the deck, and I picked him up. He would just hang there taunt. But he would not let go of that towel no matter what. And I'm sitting in a bunk, I'm sitting in a top bunk, crying about my dog Sam, missing the beautiful colored trees and my mom's cooking, and I'm just going like, I just want to go home. And I remembered that dog holding on to that towel. And I thought, you know what? If a Labrador can hold on to a towel, I can hold on to God's will for my life. And I remember in that bunk bed that day, I said, God, I'm going to graduate from this place. I am not going to quit. I am committed to this place, and I am going to stay here, and I'm going to leave this place, and I'm going to graduate from this place. And do you know that that commitment changed my attitude? Once I made that commitment, my joy came back. I mean, there was a much more greater joy. And I'll tell you, preachers, some of you, the reason why you've lost your joy is you've lost your commitment to the ministry. And your commitment will bring joy. Number two is confidence. I love, by the way, on the way over to, uh, over to chapter two, uh, let, let me tell you what I think the key to this whole book is. This is my own personal opinion. I've never heard anyone else preach this, so you've got to be really careful with that. But listen, but I really got to tell you, I challenge you on this. I don't think this book is about Ruth. We know it's really about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It it, it really is. I don't think this book is about Naomi. I'll tell you what I think this book is about. I think it's about God. And I think it's about God revealing who he is. And look at chapter chapter 1, verse 20. It says, and she, that would be Naomi, said unto them. Remember, she comes back to Bethlehem, and she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter, bitter, yeah. Don't call me, you know what Naomi means? 
Pleasant, pleasant one. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter from now on. Because look at this. For the El Shaddai. Almighty. El Shaddai. That's the word. Now let me tell you what El Shaddai means. Shaddai means nourishing, sustaining God. Nourishing, sustaining God. She is making a mockery of God's name. She is saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the nourishing, sustaining God has left me without anything. And I'm going to tell you what happens in this book. For the Almighty Shaddai hath dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the... Uh, and the Shaddai, El Shaddai Almighty hath afflicted me. She took God's name, which represent God's character, and she challenged it. She said, he has not been El Shaddai to me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. The rest of the book is God being a nourishing, sustaining God. And the rest of the book is, I am El Shaddai, Naomi. And you are going to know that I'm El Shaddai. And at the very end of the book, it is just the greatest thing. And by the way, it all even starts even in the next verse. So Naomi returned with Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. I'm going to start being El Shaddai right now. You might not have seen me as El Shaddai for a while, but I have not lost who I am. And I'm going to show you. But you know who did catch all this? Is Ruth. Ruth is going, oh no, mom, mom, don't do that. Don't no, mom, he is El Shaddai. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, whom, uh, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. I mean, she was confident. She said, no, 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 no. Mom, let me go out and let, let, let me go out and work today. Let, let me go out and get the food. Oh, oh, Ruth. It's not what you think. Oh, Ruth. These Jews, they're stingy. I'm telling you, Ruth, it's not going to be easy here. It's, Ruth, it's not what you, th- no, no, no. Mom, mom, trust me. I believe he is El Shaddai, and I believe he's going to provide for us, Mom. Let me go on out. Let me go out and get it. And, you know, Naomi says, go ahead, go ahead. Notice her confidence brings joy. And and tell you what you need to be confident of. Number one, your calling. Your calling, your need, the calling of 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 your calling, of your need, and of your God. Be confident of that, and it brings great joy. And you know what? Only one thing I want to talk about is your calling there. I do believe... The thing that will get you through the ministry better than anything else with joy is to know that God's called you. You know what, God, I know that you've called me to this. I know you've called me to be a pastor. I know you've called me to preach. I know you've called. And your calling will bring joy to you in your life. Be committed, be confident, and be consistent. We go over to chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz is out there in the field, and he, you know, he knows all the story and everything and, and what's going on. He finds out about this woman. Verse 11, it says, And Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath full, you know, in other words, she said, why, have you, why are you doing this for me? It, it hath fully been showed me 
all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, how thou, thou hast not left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and are come uh, unto a people which thou knewest not hereto because of your consistency. I'm going to bless you. And then what joy this is. And, the, and Boaz knew what to do and Jesus Christ knows what to do. He tells his workers, don't just leave a big, huge pile. You leave little handfuls. And you let her have to come out every day to get those handfuls. And you let her, and by the way, what does he say to her? He says, Ruth, will you do something for me? And I'll do something for you. Will you not go to any other field? Will you stay in this field? And if you stay in this field, I will provide for you. So every day, I don't want you to go to another field. And I will take care of everything you need. It's not going to be big bushels. But I will make sure that handfuls at a time, you will be taken care of with everything that you need. And I just want to tell you, preacher, you stay in the field that God has given to you, and he will give you the handful. And there is, and you know what? I really mean this. It is so much better that God gives us handfuls than he gives us big bushels. The handfuls keep us going. It's the little things that they does in our life. And we go like, oh, thank you, God. You're still there. And that's what brings us joy. We stay consistent. We stay confident. We stay committed. Hey, let me tell you, pastors, if you want to maintain joy in the ministry, number one, forget the past. Number two, accept the present. Number three, keep the purity. Keep the purity. Now, I think this is the key to the whole message. So take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe that this is the key to having joy. Matter of fact, you could take 1, 2, and 3 and place them under number 3. I think number 3 is the key. If we had the Apostle Paul come in here right now, and we asked the Apostle Paul to give the workshop that I just gave, I'd tell you what he would do. I know what he would do. If his topic was the Apostle Paul's uh, 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 topic, Brother Chapel gave it to the Apostle Paul, I want you to preach on maintaining your joy in the ministry. And he came in here and he gave this workshop. This is what he would say. The The reason why Paul had joy throughout his ministry is because of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Now, verse 12, it's in reference to something else. But he says something in here that is unbelievable. Paul's sincerity is being spoken of here. And here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our rejoicing is this. And we're going to find out what your rejoicing is, Paul. The testimony of our conscience. That in simplicity... And godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to to you word. Here is what Paul said. He said, the thing that brings us joy is that the witness of my conscience is we did what was right in front of you. We lived right. And because we did that which was right before you, Our conscience bared witness to us and having a clear conscience and knowing that what we did was right brought rejoicing to us. Now let's hold on and let's figure this thing out because I'm telling you, this is the key to the joy in ministry. The key to the joy in ministry is living right. 
and that your conscience is right. And if your conscience, see, it doesn't matter what's going on in your church. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If your conscience is right before God, because he says for our rejoicing, this is what brings us joy is the testimony of our conscience. And our conscience is saying, Hey, you did right when you came to Corinth. You lived right. You, you acted right. You did what was right. And you're, you, you, could, you could walk away. And at the end of the day, you could pillow your head. And you could say, God, you know, it, it wasn't everything I wanted today. I didn't get everything done on my, on my schedule today. But, Lord, I believe that what you wanted me to do at that hospital today, what, what you wanted me to, to, to spend a little extra time with that individual, Lord, I believe in my conscience it was right and that will bring joy to your heart. When you can stand before God Almighty and your conscience is cleared in the way that you live and what you do, there is nothing that will bring greater joy to your life. The, uh, it says here, keep the purity, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Let me give you a statement under that. Your private life makes you fit for public service. Your private life makes you fit for public service. That's your time alone with the conscience. Know how to protect your conscience. See, Paul did. Paul says in Acts 23 and in Acts 24, he says, I've lived with, uh, I have lived in all times void uh, offense of my conscience. He said, Brother Sean, I've always wondered about that. Does that mean Paul saying that he was perfect? No. What does your conscience do? Your conscience tells you you do right, you do wrong. It's your discerner. That's also where the Spirit of God dwells. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, Paul refers to the Spirit of God dwelling inside of his conscience. Romans 9, 1. And what happens is, when you say something that isn't right, when you do something that isn't right, when you say something to your wife, your spouse, your children, your, your, your people that isn't right, your conscience says, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be thinking that right now. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. And your conscience uh, is, is aggravated, and you, you respond to your conscience at that moment. It brings joy. You get it right. How many times? Last night, I got something right at the altar. I had joy. I got it right with God. And when I got it right with God, there was joy again. That's why, you know, revival services is nothing else but coming back to God, getting back to normal, living the life you're supposed to be living. And when you live that way, there is joy. Now that now that the Holy Spirit, tell, this is the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells you to do something. You get it right. And then that joy comes in because it'll be a result of your conscience being cleared with God. I really do believe that this is absolutely pivotal in understanding and having, and having joy. Let's go to number four and then we'll be done. Jim, how do you maintain joy in the ministry? You forget the past, you accept the present, you keep the purity. Number four and we're done. You remember the prize. You remember the prize. More and more, I'm seeing that, and it's great. I'm seeing, you know, the prize is not in how many were there Sunday and how many of this and how many of that and how many decisions and how big the offering was. We've got the wrong prize, men. You will have the right joy in the ministry if you've got the right prize. Look at Joshua chapter 13. Now, Joshua 13, I know this didn't happen this way, but it just sounds kind of neat. You know, all the tribes are getting divvied up all the property. And you got this one tribe, the tribe of Levi, kind of standing off to the side like, hey, Joshua, we're over here. Hey, Dan's up there in the north. You got Judah over there. 
Got Issachar, has got a nice place. Asher's got some nice property. You know, Reuben and Gad, they're on the other side of the you know, they're, they're pretty nice over Hey, hey, there's us over here. Hey, don't, don't forget us. And that says in Joshua chapter 13, verse 33, Joshua is doing what Moses had told him to do, and he's dividing up the land, and he comes to the tribe of Levi, and he says this. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not an inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. When it came time for the tribe of Levi, Joshua said, I'm sure Levi figured out, you know, I don't think there's any more property over here. (laughs) And Joshua says, you know what? Moses said that you were not going to have, as your inheritance, a piece of property. Your inheritance is the Lord God. And I tell you, if you as ministers ever put your prize in the ministry, anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, you will lose your joy in the ministry and it will be made that way. It's made that way. You are, when God gave you the calling, he said the only prize that is going to bring you real joy in the ministry is me. You know, we just finished a series. <laughs> this is so interesting Sunday. Nobody was as excited about Sunday's message as I was. <laughs> Nobody was. I finished a series on Alone with His Own, Jesus in the Upper Room. We did six months from John 13 to John 17. We finished Sunday. I was like, oh, man, this is, I mean, I, I went back through my messages. I'm going like, oh, that was so, oh, God, that was such a great, oh, man, I loved it when you showed me that. That was so good about the Peter's denial and, and this and that and everything. Well, you know what? I started thinking about it. So I got done Sunday. You know, I'm waiting for Marilee to say, Jim, that was really, she didn't. She didn't. <laughs> Sunday probably, I don't know. I don't think it was that great a service with the people. But you know what? I thought, I said, Lord, I just want you to know. I drove home by myself on Sunday. Um, and I, used, I took it because I get there early, so I take a different car. So I, I was going back. And I said, you know, Lord, I don't think our people enjoyed John 13 through 17 as much as I did. But I will tell you this. I thought, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? What's the prize of the ministry? I got paid for studying John 13 through 17. I got to be alone with the Lord, and he showed me things, and I got paid for that? Hey, I want to tell you something. The prize of the ministry is Jesus Christ. Is our time, what we get to do in the ministry, what the fellowship that we have with the Lord that nobody else has. Our reward in the ministry is Jesus Christ. The things that we have the opportunity, and that will bring you joy. Matter of fact, if you make your joy your sheep, Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, you will not maintain joy in the seasons of life. If, you're, if your joy is the sheep, if your joy is building projects, if your joy is giving to missions, you're going to be disappointed. But if your prize is Jesus Christ, you won't. Uh, years ago, and I close with this, years ago, I went on a missions trip with a friend of mine from uh, the campus church. We went to uh, Scotland together, Gary Suttles. He was a lawyer, and I, and I never travel internationally without somebody else, and Gary was my partner for this missions trip. I'll never forget going to, uh, it wasn't our, Scotland, we went to Scotland, and we were there for 10 days. I'll never forget this. In the 10 days that we were there, the sun never shined. 
I could not be a missionary in Scotland. I just, I just went like, man, this is a dark country. And it, was, it never shined, you know, and it was really hard. Well, one of the days we were there, we were sitting in a little, uh, a little borough outside of Glasgow, uh, Scotland. And, and, and the missionary, Wayne, he, he wanted to know if we wanted to go to Edinburgh and see the, the castle in Edinburgh. I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Let's do that. So, so we get in the car, and we're driving on our way to Edinburgh. And on the way to Edinburgh, I'm sitting in the back seat with Gary, and Wayne's talking about everything. I'm looking out in the, in the pasture fields, and it's cloudy, and it's kind of drizzly and foggy and everything. But there's sheep out there, and there's, you know, and those beautiful rock fences. Those are those were really cool and everything, and little, you know, little, little flocks of sheep and everything. We go past this one uh, drive spot, uh, uh, and down in the field, it was like below the casement, but you could see it driving by, was a shepherd teaching the little the little shelties the little uh, the, the the sheep dogs and and the shepherd was down there teaching them you know there was no sheep in the field it was the shepherd with the sheep dogs and oh i i had just read that time this and this was several years ago i had just read the book by philip keller lessons from a sheep dog if you preacher if you never read that you gotta read it's just a fabulous book and i had just finished that a few months before it's just a little book too lessons from a sheep dog and it compares the pastorate to being a sheepdog and that Jesus is the shepherd and we're the sheepdog and it's a great little book and he did Phil you know Philip Keller did the book uh, Shepherds Look at Psalm 23 and he did this this one little book uh, Lessons from a Sheepdog so we're driving by and I see the shepherd down there with the sheepdog and you know sometimes when you read those books you kind of wonder like I wonder how accurate some of this stuff is you know so I wanted to I said man one of these days I want to get a chance to talk to a shepherd I want to see if some of that stuff's true and I just read the book so a lot of those things were in my mind so I said Wayne Wayne can you pull over for a minute? Can I go talk to that shepherd for a minute? I just want to ask him a few questions about the book I read. And I told him about the book. He said, Wayne, I said, yeah, no problem, Pastor. So we pulled off. I got out. Gary got out. He's taking pictures. And I come on over. And, and, the, and the shepherd's down there with the sheepdog. And I said, Mr. Shepherd, Mr. Shepherd. You know, I don't want to call him. You know, hey, shepherd. You know, and he turned around only to find out it was a woman. And she turned around and looked at me like, ooh, you know, hi, Mrs. Shepherd, you know. You know, and, 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 she kinda, and I said, hi, I, I'm from America, as if I needed to say that, you know. I said, I'm from America. I'm a minister. I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor over in America. Could I ask you a few questions? And she came over to the, and, and she's about 12 feet down from me, and the dogs are all around her, you know. And I start, I start barking off. I start talking to her about some of the, you know, the different things. I said, is this true about the sheepdogs? Well, they, yeah. And she said, you know, that she had her brogue, you know, her Scottish brogue. And she says, yes, that's true. And she would expand on it. And I would say something else. And she would, yes, that's true. And I don't know, we went maybe five, six things, you know. All five, six, she agreed with them. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I said, oh, thank you so much. That was just really, I really appreciate that thank you so much and I start walking away I start walking away and she says to me she says minister minister and I stop and I said yes she said you have not asked me the most important question and I said well what's that ma'am she said you have not asked me what the reward for the Sheltie is and I said oh no well what is what's the reward for the Sheltie well, the reward for the Sheltie is that at the end of the day, the sheep are put into the fold and the dog gets to come into the house with the shepherd. And that's what they live for every day that the dog comes in with the shepherd at the end. I said, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. So I went back to the car and we get back in and we start driving to Edinburgh. And I was telling Wayne about everything in there. And then there was one of those, you know, long, like, pauses where nobody's saying anything. We're driving, I'm, you know, and I'm in the back, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm thinking about the ministry. 
over my youth pastorate, my pastorate. And I start thinking about different things. And I'm thinking about the times I've been disappointed in the ministry. And I thought to myself, every time I have ever been disappointed in the ministry, it is because I made the prize of the ministry the sheep rather than the shepherd. And I said, you know, Lord, I have never had you as my goal of my life that I have ever been disappointed. I've never lost my joy one time when you were my prize. I've lost my joy a lot of times when I made my family my prize, when I made my ministry my prize, when I made my preaching my prize, when I made giving my prize. I've had a lot of disappointment, but I've never had a disappointment. I've never lost my joy when I've allowed Jesus Christ to be my prize in ministry. And I want to tell you, preachers, you can maintain joy no matter where you are. No matter what is happening, if you learn how to forget the past, have a manasseh, maybe even right now in this room, just say, God, I forget it. I'm going to move on. Accept the present. Man, Ruth was so confidently sure that God was going to provide. Learn how to keep the purity. Don't go against your conscience. The testimony of your conscience will bring you joy in your life. And don't forget, remember always what your prize in the ministry is. Your prize in the ministry is not the sheep. Your prize in the ministry is the shepherd. And if you keep your mind on that, you will be able to maintain joy in the days ahead. I pray that this preacher will do it. I pray that you as well. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today we heard from Pastor Jim Shetler on maintaining joy through seasons of ministry. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.